The season is right around the corner, and I have a new mini-series to share with y'all. So we're going to take a deeper dive into some of the divisional rivals for the New Jersey Devils and see how they stack up against them, and also hear a different perspective as to how things are shaking up in the Metropolitan Division. First up on the docket are the Columbus Blue Jackets, and joining me on today's show is Brian Hedger. Now, Brian is a beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, so we're going to hear his perspective from up in the press box, in the locker room, and also what he sees from his perspective and how the Devils and Blue Jackets stack up going into the 2023-2024 season. There's a lot to talk about with Brian, so buckle up, everybody. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, College Hockey Club, a play announcer, Devils Rider for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. So once again, this is going to be a new mini-series that I'm doing over here on Locked On Devils, in which we look at the New Jersey Devils' divisional rivals and see how the Metro is shaking up. First up on the docket are the Columbus Blue Jackets, and joining me on today's show is the beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, it is Brian Hedger. Brian, you've been covering the NHL for quite some time. You've been a sports journalist since the late 90s. Thanks for stopping by to talk all things Blue Jackets. Thanks for having me, Trey. Appreciate it, man. So let's get right into it. So basically paint a picture. How did last season go for the, for the Blue Jackets from your perspective? <laughs> well, it couldn't have gone much worse uh, as far as the actual season uh you know, entails <clears throat> the Blue Jackets went into last season on such a high after signing Johnny Gaudreau, shocking the nation. You know, he, Johnny Gaudreau obviously did not go to the, the Devils, which a lot of people thought he would be going there because he's from New Jersey and all that kind of stuff. Didn't go to the Flyers, which I know for a fact is a team he really wanted to go to. It's a team he grew up watching. Um, but he picks the Blue Jackets, which is, a, you know, everyone kind of uh, was shocked that that was the case including people in, in Columbus, but it, it stoked a lot of excitement for last year going into last season, um, especially when they also brought back uh, Patrick Laine for another four-year extension. I mean, there was, there was you know, you looked at the roster and you said, yeah, you know what, they might not be a playoff team, but who's to say they can't, you know, start pushing for that a little bit at that point. So they go in, uh, spend all training camp trying to get chemistry between uh, Boone Jenner, the number one center, and uh, Gaudreau and Line, and uh, starting to work a little bit toward the end. And you get to the season opening game in the second period. Uh, Patrick Line scores a goal, puts him up one to nothing on the on the Carolina uh, Hurricanes, and then he gets injured like four minutes later, and it just started. That was like the first major injury, and it only, I mean, it lasted two or three weeks, but it was long enough to where it screwed up the chemistry. Uh, gave them something to deal with right away. And it, it turned out to be the first of just multiple injuries for the Blue Jackets that just sunk their season. I mean, honestly, their season was pretty much over, if you really look back at it, like three weeks into the season, maybe four weeks. In fact, the, like, I remember being in New Jersey at the, at the Prue 
And uh, it was right before uh, the, the Jackets were like, we're going to play the Devils and then go off to their Finland game, uh, two games against um, uh, Colorado Avalanche, defending the Stanley Cup champions. They're reeling. You know, they're coming off a loss at home against the Bruins. They go into New Jersey and they just get housed. Like they get housed bad. And uh, I mean, I remember what, after that game going like this, this season's over, like it's over and you're only like two and a half weeks into it. So what do you do at that point? And that was before the, the like a litany of injuries even hit, like they had more injuries to come after that. So basically what happened was the entire season that they hoped was going to be like this, you know, rebound season. It turned out to be a nightmare. Um, and, and they ended up with the second to worst record in the NHL uh, points wise. Uh, they were 31st of 32 teams. And then even that didn't go very well because they're hoping to be the 32nd team. And uh, they end up winning the game against the, uh, the um, in overtime against the Penguins with uh, their penultimate game, game number 81. And, and that one basically lets the Ducks sink farther back to get the get the best draft odds for Connor Bedard at that point, which, you know, as we, we know now, the, the lottery played out, and it was actually the third worst team, the Blackhawks, that got Bedard. But, you know, at the time, people were like, what are you doing? Like, you spent the entire year losing, and now you win this one. Like, what's going on here? So, um, you know, pretty much anything that could have gone wrong for the Blue Jackets last year went wrong for the Blue Jackets last year. And I think because of that, people are looking at this team this year saying, well, yeah, like it's going to be more of the same, but you know, I don't know. I think there's more optimism this year as well. You got a new coach and Mike Babcock. I'm sure we'll get into all that kind of stuff, but uh, you know, um, there's renewed optimism here. You got a new draft pick that everyone's excited about, you know, high draft pick wasn't Connor Bedard. Was Adam Fantilli, uh, but everyone's excited. Don't worry, there's still more in store with Brian and the Columbus Blue Jackets. But before we continue, I want to tell you guys about AG1. It's a product I use literally every day. So AG1 is a foundational nutrient supplement that supports whole body health. And once again, I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 try because I got to be happier. I got to be healthier. My body's a temple. I got to start treating as such. So I drink AG1 before I record an episode, before a long car ride, before I go to the gym wherever the case might be, because I am always on my feet and I need some energy in my industry. So AG1 is a foundational nutrient supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. AG1 helps build your health foundation first. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from a supplemental routine, then you need to try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Check it out. All right. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Brian Hedger of the Columbus Dispatch, and let's hear some more insight regarding the Blue Jackets. Take it away once again. One of the main storylines last offseason was, in fact, something you mentioned, the addition of Johnny Goodrow and re-signing Patrick Laine to a four-year extension. But what were your personal expectations going into the 2022-2023 season? Because on my end, I said, yes, this is exciting for Columbus. And yes, I was a little salty that Johnny Goodrow decided to sign with Columbus, like you mentioned. So 
adding salt to the wound in that sort of way. But um, my thing was like Columbus was one of the youngest teams in the NHL. I believe it was them and then the uh, Buffalo Sabres. So I said, Johnny Goodrow is going to do his thing. Uh, Boone Jenner, he's going to do his thing. Patrick Laine, he's going to do his thing. But the problem is, is like the rosters surrounding them is relatively young and coming from a, someone who has covered a relatively young team in the Devils, who were the youngest team in the NHL not too long ago, I said, those young guys are going to hit a wall come January or February. So my prediction for Columbus was they'll get off to a good start, but they'll start to fizzle out halfway through the year because those young guys are going to hit the wall. But like you alluded to, they hit that wall way early in the season, close to Halloween when they first played the Devils. So I just want to get your perspective. Like, is my assessment of Columbus correct? What were your thoughts going into the season? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you had it pretty pretty good there as far as them being. I mean, every, that's the whole thing with Columbus, right? At least the last three, four, or five years. Until, you know, since they moved on, um, even I guess even when you know Nick Foligno was here as the captain and you had David Savard and those guys, this was always still a young team. I mean, that, that's kind of the way it works with uh, general manager Yarmo Kekalainen in charge. I mean, he's, he finds talent. He finds young talent. Um, and he's really good at it, him and his staff, but you know, it, sometimes there's no experience. There's no replacement for experience. Right. And so like, it's, it's a very delicate balance where you can definitely very quickly become too young. And I think that maybe you're right. Last year, they were probably still a little too young. Um, I mean, they even had a second year coach last year um, in, in Brad Larson uh, that, you know, ended up, uh, he ended up losing his job at the end of the year, unfortunately for him. Um, a good coach, but, you know, and he'll probably be a head coach again someday down the line. Uh, but, you know, it's it just it all kind of worked together to be like, just create this big tailspin. And it hit way earlier, like you said. I mean, I think a lot of people had, or I, I think a number of people kind of looked at, at the way you did, Trey, where it was like, you know, yeah, they're going to hit a wall eventually and, and they're going to crumble. Well, the wall like got moved up by about two months because of the injuries and it just all crumbled right at their feet. And I think there was a point there early, probably wisely, if you, if you ask me, and I don't have, they'll never admit this publicly, um, because you know the NHL would hate it, but like when you're in a situation like that, and your season basically goes completely off the rails, like three weeks into it, and there's a guy like Connor Bedard sitting out there uh, with the number one pick, and you and nobody knows exactly who's going to get that pick. I mean, you don't try to lose, but like maybe you don't try to like make a ton of trades either to account for the injuries, and just kind of let things organically happen the way they happen. And I think that's actually a little bit. I think that played a little bit into it as well. They use like as soon as the injuries hit, they certainly use those opportunities to help some of their young guys. Like the, you speak about young guys, they got even younger. Like they, they started off young and they got even younger. As I mean, they're playing uh, Tim Bernie at one point. You know, like nobody even thought that he was going to sniff the NHL last year at all, and he did. And he actually handled it halfway decently. Uh, for, for himself, so it was pretty solid. Um, but, I mean, those are the kind of situations where they were like, you know what, let's just use this year as a development year. And let's just, you, you know, just have guys like Kent Johnson play a lot of minutes and Kirill Marchenko come up and play a lot of minutes. And, and you know, 
Now, Cole Sillinger kind of regressed last year a little bit after he was dynamite as an 18-year-old uh, two years ago and then just kind of regressed last year a little bit, fell into a little bit of a funk, but he's still young. You know, like they have a lot of young guys still, even on this roster. Um, so it's going to be – what will be interesting is, you know, I mentioned Babcock, Babcock earlier. Um, so Mike Babcock has coached young teams before, obviously. We've all talked about what happened with Mitch Marner and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's got that experience of coaching the the uh, the Maple Leafs under like white hot pressure of a, like, you know in Toronto. Well, now he's going to be able to have like that like maybe not the same roster, but there are similarities there. And you're in Columbus, Ohio now, like so. The, the media intensity and pressure is just not going to be there the same way it was in Toronto. And I think that actually does matter a little bit, um, you know, with, with some of these things, because there's like, he's free to do more of the stuff he wants to do. I think without being, I mean, we're going to question him on stuff, but like we, we just tend to like in our market tend to get overlooked. doesn't matter what we write. doesn't matter what we ask. doesn't matter what we say. Like, you know, people just kind of forget about Columbus a little bit. And I think that, you know, Babcock's sort of looking forward to that a little bit, I would I would guess. And I think that that plays into the Blue Jackets' favor a little bit, that they could be one of these teams that kind of comes out of nowhere, potentially, and actually has a pretty good rebound season. Yeah, uh, as someone who covers the Devils, who's been credentialed and had the chance to talk to a lot of players, I, I definitely know that feeling. The Devils have to be good in order to – get some attention our way. And that's just how it is. The small market team out East and the devils get the short end of the stick. You got two football teams playing in New Jersey, but they don't claim New Jersey. They claim New right. York in the giants and the jets, but uh, moving on. And we'll talk about Mike Babcock a little later. He definitely has a history of winning because he led the Detroit Red Wings to the Stanley cup in 2008. Unfortunately, players don't really have all that good things to say about Babcock. And I'll get your thoughts on that in, in a moment, but let's look at some other key offseason moves for Columbus. So they traded a first round pick to the Philadelphia Flyers in a three-way trade with the LA Kings in exchange for Ivan Provorov. They obtained Damon Severson from the Devils via a sign and trade, the second sign and trade in NHL history drafted Adam Fantilli. Uh, I, I'm a little biased because I love the Michigan Wolverines, but drafted him third overall from the University of Michigan. Which offseason move has been your favorite, and how will some of those players I listed impact Columbus next season? Well, I think if you're if you're a Blue Jackets fan, and most Blue Jackets fans will, will, will answer that one, Fantilli, uh, just because um, you know, outside of Ryan Johansson, you know, when they had him before they traded him for Seth Jones. Um, they had uh, um, Derek Broussard when he was young as well. They drafted him. Outside of those two guys, they've really never had, um, you know, a center prospect that people get really excited about and say, hey, this could be the number one center, you know, the, the really dominant number one type center that, that could lead us somewhere, like somewhere good. You know, the, you have to have that Nathan McKinnon type guy a lot of times. You got to have that Jack Hughes. You got to have those kind of guys. Uh, Nico Hishier, you know, those are all number one overall picks, you know, and, and you got to like, you got to have something like that um, to really do some things in the, in, in most, most cases in the NHL. I mean, people look, look at the, the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like they win the Stanley cup 
I, I can't believe I've heard this a number of times this offseason. Yeah, well, they won without a, a really good center. What? Like, are you talking about like Jack Eichel was drafted second overall? He is a stud. He is really good. And he was really good in that playoff uh, run for them. So, like, you kind of have to have that. And I think the Jackets, when they personally, I liked um, Leo Carlson just as much uh, in the draft. I think he went to the, uh, the Ducks second overall. I think he's going to be a superstar. I think he's going to be really good, like an Andre Kopitar type, um, real big. When he grows into his body, he, he's good passer on stuff. But how do you not like Fantilli either? You know what I mean? Like this draft, the, the, the Jackets were super lucky in that this draft didn't just have one superstar at the top of it. You know, it didn't just have two potential superstars at the top of it. It had like three or four, like maybe three superstars. And then like you start going down to potential like future stars with Will Smith and those kind of guys. So they had their pick, you know, and, and so I think they're sitting pretty either way, no matter how it broke with the Ducks. But when the Ducks picked Carlson, uh, you know, Blue Jackets fans went crazy at their watch party. Um, they, they, they want this guy, even though it is funny here in Columbus, Ohio, and you got all these Michigan guys, uh, who are, and, and they're good, you know, like Kent Johnson's going to be a really good NHL player, Michigan guy. Uh, Zach Wierenski's already there. If he stays healthy, Michigan guy, you know, like you got all these guys and it's kind of funny, but like the fans here are like, I don't care where they played college as long as they lead the blue jackets to great things. Um, and so I think that, the, that, that they are really excited about Adam Fantilli having a guy like this. I don't know if he's going to start as the number one center right away. I mean, I, I think that's a bit asking a bit much. Maybe he's your third line center to start out and he works his way up. Maybe he's your second, um, you know, Boone Jenner probably holds on to that first spot for a while anyway, because of experience. That'd be, that'd be my guess. But I could I could see Fantilli maybe moving his way up to, to the top spot by the end of the season. I think that's exciting. And I will add an addendum. You asked me who my most exciting move of, of those things were. And I, I wouldn't say exciting, but I think maybe potentially the most impactful move that they have made for this season is Damon Severson. Uh, Severson, right? Yeah, Severson. Severson. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're getting used to – we're getting to know him here a little bit. We'll get to know him a lot better in camp, uh, you know, how to – for me, how to pronounce his name, Severson Severson. But um, I'll just say you can pronounce it either way. Uh, but the the how they say it on air or uh, on the PA system, it's Damon Severson. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Uh, he seems like a great guy as well. And it, like I like I love that pickup for them because he is a big right shot defenseman. And you know, if I don't know if he can handle you know, top pairing defensive responsibilities. Like I wouldn't bring him in and say, well, yeah, you're going to be a top two way guy on the top pairing, but I could see, you know, potentially uh, Babcock giving him some run up there with Wierenski and saying, Hey, your job is to do what Seth Jones did here. If you can. And that's basically just to kind of like handle the defensive part a little bit, make sure we don't get roasted back there. And, and let Zach, when we're in the offensive zone, become a fourth forward, basically, because he's got those kind of skills. So if they – and uh, conversely, if he doesn't work out in that role, I think he slides perfectly into the second pairing next to Provorov. And now you've got like kind of a shutdown pairing as your second pairing that you just didn't have last year if you're the Blue Jackets. You didn't have it. And, and it, was, it was a big problem. And then that 
That allows um, Goodbranson to slide back down on the right side of the third pairing, play the, the minutes that they expected him to play, not as much as he played last year. Um, and then you can start working in some of your kids, your Blankenbergs, your, you know, those kind of guys on your third pairing. But that would leave a big gap in the top. And so the, the gap, I think, if it's not Steverson um, going up there to play with Wierenski, I think it – my guess is it might be Boquist, Adam Boquist. Um but we'll have to see on that, you know, that that's going to be one of the question marks going into camp, but I love the acquisition of, uh, of Severson because they, they needed that, that top four type big, you know, dependable defenseman. Wierenski, Johnson, Fantilli, you, you got a lot of Wolverines in, in the pipeline for uh, Columbus, but before we move on, let me tell you something about Damon Severson because I've had the chance to interview him a few times in the locker room. I've seen his game the last few years. The one thing you're going to get from Severson, you're getting a very capable top four defenseman. That's my honest opinion. Now, he did play on the third defensive pairing alongside with Kevin Ball for a good chunk of the year. But for Severson, he's classified as a bonehead by the Devils because I think one of his biggest blunders this past season was when he had a turnover against Philadelphia Flyers that resulted in the Flyers going on a two-on-one odd man rush. And as a result, they get the game-winning goal and the Devils lose that game. Very next game, Severson is a healthy scratch. And that was the only game he had missed the entire year. So the one thing I can give, I can give you for Severson, he's a great two-way player. And he took a bit of a backseat in order to help the team. But he was still second among Devils defensemen in points. He was fifth on the team in defensive point shares with 3.7. He was third on the team in blocks with 115. So... I think for Severson, you're definitely getting someone who is capable of playing those top line defensive minutes. So I talked about on my show, uh, you know, I, I like the, the deal for the Blue Jackets getting Ivan Provorov and pairing him alongside Damon Severson. I think that's going to be somewhat intriguing to see. But Severson, he's a great leader and you're going to love him in the locker room. When you interview him post game, he's going to give you a lot of insight, very calm, very collected. Very nice guy. He was one of my favorite players to interview last season. So that's what I could tell you about Damon Severson. Nice. I, I like to hear all that. Okay. So let's move on from uh, off-season moves to, I guess, another off-season move, and that is Mike Babcock. Now, like we said early on in the show, he does have a track history. He does have a track history of winning. He won a Stanley Cup leading the Detroit Red Wings in 2008. But the problem is a lot of players have come out and say they do not like Mike Babcock, not because of his coaching per se, but he's not really a good person. He's not really all that nice. But I want to get your opinion. Like, what's the direction for the Blue Jackets and Yarmur Kakalayan? Like, what what are they trying to do? What's the culture trying to shapeshift in Columbus? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, uh, I mentioned Brad Larson earlier. He was the coach last year at uh, last two seasons. Brad Larson took over um, the Blue Jackets bench from John Tortorella, who was another kind of lightning rod of controversy, potentially. I mean, I guess he kind of is still in Philly now, um, you know, but like they were, they were hoping with Larson to get kind of like a nicer version of torts. <laughs> if, if, that, if you can even be that way, like if you, I don't even know if that can even exist, but like, you know, somebody who's going to hold the standard high 
and you know it to for each player and and that that might mean benching guys if they ha- if you have to that type of thing um you know holding it high in practices and things like that and the blue jackets came out after the season and essentially said that they didn't think uh that was getting accomplished uh, under Larson and that's why they removed him from it um personally i didn't necessarily see it but i'm not i'm not on the team i'm not in the locker room you know things like that and I think one thing that that plays into Babcock's favor here in terms of, I mean, he does come in with a reputation. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? Like everyone has talked about this endlessly and they're going to continue to talk about it, especially after what, he, what happened. And it was in Toronto, which is like the Mecca of like hockey media that, you know, people like just goes on and on. And it just gets talked about endlessly in, in a vacuum. Um, but like, you know, here, this team lost so much. They lost so many games. And the, the players who were coming back by the end of the season were just worn down. And they were just mentally like, I hate this. This is terrible. Like, how are we ever going to get better? And from everything, you, they, you, like when you talk to um, you know people around the team, like, hey, how are the players thinking about you know Babcock maybe coming in here? I think they're at a point in, here in Columbus where they're like, we just want to win. Like, can, can this guy help us win? Like, if we do the things that he wants us to do and things like that, and they, like, how bad can it be as long as we're winning? You know what I mean? And so I think that they're willing to give him a, a, you know, a, a shot here uh, to, to be the coach and to respect him and everything because they want to win. And he's got over 700 games of winning to his credit in the NHL. And he's got the Stanley Cup and he's got the gold medals and he's got the world championship golds with Canada and all that stuff. So like he comes with a pedigree as far as like, you know, his resume and, and, and from people I've talked to, like you'd be very hard pressed to find another coach in the NHL or anywhere in the world, really, who's better at preparing for games and scouting opponents Mike Babcock, um, the the guy gets his teams ready to play. So and yeah, it's going to come down to whether you know, like, like just how it works out here. It's very hard. He's sixty some years old, so like it's hard to believe that a that a cheetah can change its spots in a certain way. You know, like like is now he's talked about the last three or four years have kind of been zen like a little bit. You know, his kids have talked to him. Um, you know uh, about hey it's not your message, dad. It's the way you say it in its tone and things like that. And, and, you know, he did coach at the college level uh, in Canada and he also helped out with Vermont. So, you know, he's looking at those things saying, Hey, look, I learned a few things about dealing with younger athletes now. And uh, you know, he's going to try and apply those uh, with the blue jacket. So we're going to see how it goes. It's an experiment. The two year contract, it's not like a 10 year contract, not an eight year, not a five. It's a two year contract. And to be honest with you, like, so Yarmo Kekalainen's got two more years left on his deal. Uh, team president of hockey operations, John Davidson, has two years left on his deal. Mike Babcock has a two year deal. So it's almost like, you know, hey, let's see if they, let's see what happens here this year and next year. And then we'll see what happens with the Blue Jackets' future going forward. Okay, so when talking about the Blue Jackets, another thing I want to touch on is the goaltending because we all know how important goaltending is in the NHL. The Devils are definitely no exception. It's been the talk of the town for the organization for the last few months with Vitek Vancek and Akira Schmidt. I was watching one of my fellow colleagues over at Locked On um, 
and, and they were basically saying like uh, Elvis Merzlink is one of the biggest um, question marks is, is he ready to take his game to another level or can he be st- uh, sturdy and net? So I want to get your thoughts. Is Elvis the go-to guy for Columbus and is he going to help take the, the, the Blue Jackets to hopefully a, a different level? Well, you know, when you have a $5.3 million salary cap hit, you know, uh, attached to your name and in the first year of that extension was last year and it went the way it did, you better be ready to, to, to live up to that. And, you know, going into the off season, that's what Elvis said. He said he was going to, he was going to dedicate himself this off season to making improvements, uh, you know, whether it's physically, um, you know, he, the guy's in great condition. I don't know how much better he could get, you know, physically. But you know, there there are things you can always work on as a player, as a goalie, in the off season. And he he maintains that that he's he was willing to do that. Um, you know, I think that the biggest improvement in goal, whether it's Elvis Merzlikens or Daniel Tarasov, who is the likely most likely backup uh, guy for this year for the full year if he stays healthy, um, both of these guys could potentially it all it all comes back to babcock right um so basically one of the reasons that mike babcock has been so successful and and such a winning coach in the nhl level is that his teams always have a set way to play defense they have a set system everybody's on the same page and it all works to help the goaltenders figure out tough situations right like this last season was it was a train wreck you know in in columbus where like the goalies just faced ridiculous scoring chances night after night after night i mean people maybe don't want to believe this but you you could take carrie price in his prime and put him in goal for the blue jackets last season and he'd probably have a three five gaa or higher i mean like like they were facing two on ones Two on O's, three on O's, leaving Sidney Crosby completely unguarded, you know, off faceoffs in, in key moments. Like, like the goalies had no shot. So, like, you combine that with the fact that Elvis also struggled last year, it was a disaster. So, it can't get much worse than it did before. And I've had several people, even since the draft, tell me, you know, the one thing that, that where you're really going to see a difference with Mike Babcock, especially after adding Severson and Provorov, two very, you know, experienced veteran defensemen to that defensive core, you're going to see it in the defensive zone, you know? So like the goalie no longer has to say when, when the puck's coming in and it's coming down in a rush, the goalie no longer has to like guess and be like, Hmm, I wonder how, what, what my defenseman's going to do here. He's going to know as soon as that puck enters the blue line, he's going to know what the defenseman's going to do and then what he has to do to cover his part of it. It's taking the thought process completely, almost completely out of it because you, you, you're you like a robot. You know what you're supposed to do and you just do it. And then it comes down to your talent level. Can you stop the puck or not? And Elvis Merzlikens has elite, elite level to stop the puck when he is on, but he's got to be feeling good in goal and it's hard to feel good in goal when the puck's going past you, you know, as often as it was last year on bad scoring chances. So I think that Babcock, Babcock's going to help out there. And I, it'll be interesting to see what, what Elvis we get. Um, but, you know, another thing is that, that that's hopeful for the blue jackets is Tarasov. Tarasov's a six, five goalie. who's always like pushing six, six. He blots out the sun. 
you know, and there's not a lot of places to shoot when he's actually on his game and he's like, you know, covering the angles and everything. Good luck. Uh, the best play, the best play against him is, is rebounds and trying to make that big body move because otherwise if he soaks the puck up, it's going to be a long night for your shooters. Um, so a guy like that with, you know, increased predictability in the defensive zone, he might flourish as well. So I, I think the Jackets are uh, they're poised to give up a lot fewer goals this year if they can stay healthy. That's, that's uh, I guess, good to hear for Columbus, not so good to hear for uh, if you're the Devils. But, but speaking of which, uh, on a more serious note, Devils were undefeated against the Blue Jackets last se- season, winning all three matchups and outscoring Columbus 18-4. to How will the Blue Jackets stand up against the Devils this year? That's going to be an interesting one because like the, the the two two of those losses were just absolute blowouts. Like it wasn't even close. I just want to I, I just want to add something else. Uh, the the one game that was relatively close that was the game in January in which Ryan Graves was able to score when there was a few seconds remaining in the game. Jack Hughes did not play in that game. He was injured. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. That's a good note. Um, yeah, I mean, Jack, Hughes is a, Jack Hughes is a problem. You know, like he, he's a problem, and so is uh, – and, you know, Luke Hughes is going to be a problem too on the back end. I mean, they, they are so ridiculously loaded in New Jersey with, like, elite young talent. It's it's kind of crazy. And that's not even talking about Nemec, you know, who, who may may or may not be up in the NHL this year as well. It's going to be fun watching him develop. And the Jackets have David Yurichek. They went – I think they – well, they went in the same draft, top five uh, in 22 – uh, your check went sixth, and I think Nemec went second. Uh, I mean, both just just really highly regarded young defensemen. So, uh, you know, I love what the what the Devils got going on there. Um, one thing that I will say, one thing that I'm going to be watching for the Devils, that I think is going to be very interesting to watch, is how they re, uh, replace Andrew Burnett on the bench, because Andrew Burnett, I feel like wherever that guy goes, um, you see offense, like <laughs> you see a really exciting team that like presses teams and like four checks and just puts a lot of pressure on the opposing team with skating and with skill. And I think he's going to bring that to Nashville. Now he's there. Uh, He was one of the guys to be honest with you when I was putting together my list of like, you know, blue jackets coaching, you know, hopefuls, he was right near the top. It was like, if, if that guy's willing to come here with all the young talent they have here, I think you could see a similar development of what you saw um, in New Jersey last year. Because if you remember, before he got there, I mean, there's a reason that the fans were yelling fire Lindy or whatever it was at the beginning of last year. They weren't real confident in Lindy Ruff. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like they just start steamrolling people and they have like uber talent and, and a, you know, coaching staff that's using it. And I, I do, I'm not going to give all 100% credit for that to Andrew Burnett, but I'm sure he had a strong influence on that. So I will be interested to see, you know, how they play this year. Are they going to continue that same style? I would guess they would, um, you know, that because Lindy sees it, that it's a different NHL than when he first got into it and it works, you know, now. So um, as far as the Blue Jackets um, and, the, and the Devils, I would expect closer games, uh, at least. I mean, it's hard to be less close than it was last year uh, or, however you want to say that because the two of them were just complete, you know, not even close to being content in, in contention. Uh, the one was, was without Jack Hughes and it was a good game. It was a great game. Went right down to the end. So, you know, I, I think the jackets are a year older. 
Um, you know, the Jackets also didn't have uh, Zach Wierenski for two of those games last year. He was out for most of the season. He could be an impact player. Um, you know, a lot of – you guys saw it last year. You know, a, a year of development time can do a lot for young players, you know. And so let's see what happens with the Jackets this year. Let's see how Gaudreau in his second year in Columbus, you know, maybe he adjusts a little bit more. Maybe he's got a little bit more chemistry with line A this time. Um, you know, maybe, maybe somebody connects with Fantilli. I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, stuff that's up in the air, but I would expect closer games. I think that the devils are still pretty far ahead of them. though. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. And like I said, I expect for Johnny Goodrow, uh, to do his thing along with a few other key jackets players, but obviously they're still relatively young and we'll see what happens. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what Damon Severson can, um, do this upcoming year with uh, Columbus as well. And by the way, his uh, jersey number, in my opinion, very random. I don't know why he uh, – well, I, don't, I don't know why it's in the 70s. I, his, his number was 28 with the Devils. That seemed kind of random. I don't, don't know why. But anyway, um, early I'll season – What's up? I'll ask him. Okay, you'll ask him that. You'll, yeah, please do. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know. All right. <laughs> Early season predictions in the Metro for both Columbus and possibly New Jersey. How are you seeing the Metro uh, shake up? This is really interesting. So when you look at this division, I mean, like if you were to just look at the Blue Jackets, like we, we've, we've been talking about the, them this entire time. So if you're just in a vacuum and you're kind of looking at them and you're saying, well, they can be better this year, you know, like they, they could really make some strides and they got a, a coach, who know, you know, like an experienced coach, who knows how to win and all this stuff. You think like, well, maybe that. I mean, maybe they can get back up into that, you know, eighty-five to ninety-point range or something, you know, whatever. Maybe they push for like fourth in the division, and then you look over and you're like, you start looking at the rest of the division, and you see the Devils, and you see the uh, the Rangers, and then you know the the Penguins aren't going anywhere, and that you know what I mean, like, and the the only quote unquote bad team you really see on there is the Flyers. Um, and you know, they, they have torts coaching them and he usually gets the most out of his players. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be, a, it's going to be close in the, in the, uh, uh, Metro division. I think the Metropolitan is one of the best, if not the best divisions in hockey. I do see the devils staying up there, uh, contending for the championship. The team I didn't even mention Carolina and Carolina does nothing but favorites. get better. Every, yeah. yeah every offseason, you know. Well, one thing I like about Don Waddell, the general manager there, is um, he keeps swinging. Like, they, they keep losing in the playoffs and people, you know, like disappointment and everything. But instead of just kind of folding it in and being like, well, we'll just try another way or we'll try and get cheaper, he just keeps swinging because he knows that the window is still open with Ajo and those guys. So, yeah, it's hard to see Carolina not, you know, falling any. I, I think it's going to be Carolina and New Jersey probably fighting for the uh, the championship Rangers will be in there. That'll probably be your top three in some way or form or fashion. I think the the Penguins uh, will be in there as far as probably fourth. And um, you know, uh, you know what? It's hard to it's hard to write off the Islanders either because like no one talks about the Islanders, but they just kind of do their thing. And if you know, it, like you have Brock Nelson as your second line center. I think if you're an NHL GM, you you would kill to have Brock Nelson as your second line center. Like he is so underrated. He is really, really good. And that means Bo Horvat's your number one center. And if they get the Bo Horvat that started out last season in Vancouver, 
watch out for the Islanders because they have Sorokin and goal. He's really good. And they have a really good defense. So like that, maybe they're, I think they may still be ahead of, of the Penguins. You know, th- those might be your top five. I think the Capitals may take a back step. They're probably going to take a back step. The, the Flyers are, they are who they are. And the Jackets sort of are who they are too, except for they have the, I think they have the most room for growth. You know, like they have so many young guys and, they're, and there's a lot of talent there. Can they turn that talent into wins under Mike Babcock? And that'll be the question. The question will be whether they can jump up there and compete with like the uh, the Penguins and the Islanders for maybe, you know, the fourth, fifth spot in the Metro, in my opinion. Well, we'll see how the season shakes up. It's right around the corner. The Devils will see the Blue Jackets four times this season. They'll play them November 24th. I believe that's Black Friday in the States. Uh, then on December 16th, December 27th. And January 19th, 2024. So, Brian, we talked everything Blue Jackets and Devils. And thank you for your tremendous insight to the organization. Where can my audience find you if they're curious to hear some up-to-date content for the Blue Jackets? Well, um, I will be posting a little bit this year, mostly this year, I think, on X or Twitter or whatever it's called anymore. Uh, just right there, you can see them on the screen at Brian Hedger, um, you know, that sign. And, um, you know, we have a Blue Jackets Facebook page. And then you just go to the dispatch.com website. It's just www.dispatch.com. And, uh, you know, you probably have to get a membership, but there are some free stuff out there. There's still a few of those. And, uh, and then otherwise, you know, um, I'll be making some, uh, we, we have a podcast as well, the, the Cannon Fodder podcast. I tweet links out to or X links out to. What do you even call it anymore? Like it's not even Twitter. I still say Twitter. I still say Twitter yeah. or I'll say X, formerly Twitter. Everyone knows what we're talking about. They do. And and honestly, I was trying. I had some hope for the new one. Um, you know, uh, what threads? Thread. There we go. Threads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you know what? I might actually be on. I mean, I think it's uh, at Brian Hedger eighty. Two on that one, I have to check, but basically, if you go to my Instagram here, you know what, really quick, yep, you know what, it's just hedge h e d g e underscore dispatch at threads. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try, I think I'm gonna try posting there a little more this year, um, just to see what happens there and you know, maybe build a little bit of a following there. But one of those places you can find my stuff and it'll be a fun season, awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for taking the time and uh. We'll see you again real soon when the Blue Jackets uh, take on the Devils four times this season. All right. Thanks, Trey. Thanks for having me on, man.